Alrighty then, welcome everybody to the Can't Argue With That Sports podcast. I am your host Josh TL and welcome to the third episode of the show. Today we will be talking about my NFC West predictions and going through every single team in the NFC West, talking about record, what I think they're going to go, talking about their roster, their team, all you need to know about what I'm going to think and what I think is going to happen for these teams. So, I want to get straight into this. I'm really excited to talk about it. I've got all my notes ready. I'm ready to go. So, I'll go in order of if they finished first in the division. I'll talk about them first going down to last in the division. And also, I just want to preface this by saying this is just my opinion. This is not going to be right. This is what I think is going to be right, but it's not going to be. At the end of the season, I'm going to look back and I'm going to think I was so stupid. So if I say your team is not as good as you think they're going to be, that's your opinion. This is just my opinion, not the right opinion. All right. Now, starting off with the San Francisco 49ers. Last year, they went 13-3, and had a breakout season after being the having the second overall pick, and they went to the Super Bowl, where they collapsed. But they still made the Super Bowl, going 13-3 and and winning the NFC West, which is, in my opinion, the toughest and best division in football. And this year, there's been a, a bit of a debate about whether they're going to have the Super Bowl hangover, where you go to the Super Bowl, you surprise everyone, the next year you're not as good. It happens to a lot of teams, like, for example, last year, the Los Angeles Rams, they were, or before then, they were the whatever Rams they were, <laughs> they keep changing, um, they went, like, 13-3, and three, made the Super Bowl, collapsed, this year they completely missed the playoffs. That's happened to so many teams, like the Falcons, they were... In the Super Bowl, then they collapsed. The Panthers were in the Super Bowl. And the next season, they weren't as good. The Seahawks in 2014, that's a bit different. Because um, they had a really good core. Um, but definitely, there's a, a hangover. And I see a lot of people saying, Oh, there's not going to be a hangover. They're such a talented roster and they've got a great coach. The Rams had a great roster and a great coach. And they didn't even make the playoffs. They had Aaron Donald, in a lot of people's opinions, and prop, and mine as well, a top three player in the NFL. They had a few guys, Dante Fowler Jr., who broke out. They had Todd Gurley playing at a MVP level. He was an MVP candidate. You had a good offensive line. You had Cooper Cup going for over 1,000 yards receiving. You had Jared Goff for the first part of the season playing like an MVP. They had an incredibly talented roster, and they had all the makings of going back to the Super Bowl, but they didn't. And that's what I think could happen to the 49ers. I still think they've got a good enough coach, and their roster is so talented that they will still make the playoffs, but I don't see them being as dominant as they were, only losing three games. One to the Ravens by a field goal, uh, which Justin Tuck kicked in a rainy game. I think it was a low-scoring one. Uh, The Seahawks. Losing to the Seahawks, I think, in week 10 uh, at home as well. And they also lost to the Atlanta Falcons 
which is a game they really shouldn't have lost, but it was just one of those games where a team just they look too far ahead into the future and they forget about the game they've got to play that Sunday. So I have the Niners going 11-5. and five. Definitely still making the playoffs, uh, but as a wildcard team. They could easily go 13-3, and three, or they could go 9-7. and seven. This team is really... They could either get back to that level of dominance they were, or they could just miss the playoffs entirely. But I see them going 11-5. and five. They're too talented to completely collapse. And what I think is a lot of the 49ers' offensive success last season was scheme-wise. Kyle Shanahan uses a, a really big power running game. And you can see teams can learn how to fix that. Green Bay couldn't, but a lot of other teams can. And I think it happens a lot when there's a new system, or it's not really a new system, but a new team uses a system and it works really, really well. The next season, it still works, but not to that same level. Teams and players learn how to beat that system. And I think that's what's going to happen with the 49ers. It's different if they had, like, what, a prime Adrian Peterson as the running back, a prime Terrell Davis, a prime Jamal Lewis, basically any great running back who rushed for 2,000 yards, who had power, it doesn't matter if they can figure it out, they can still run. But the 49ers don't have that elite level running back. Now, I talk about Shanahan, Carl Shanahan, the coach, is a good coach. He is. He was the offensive coordinator when the Atlanta Falcons made the Super Bowl. And then he had his whole play calling was too passive when they were up, which is a, a debate for another time. But I think he's going to keep this team moving forwards and getting wins. So I don't think there's too much to talk about Carl Shanahan. He's a good coach. He's not the best coach in the league because that's Bill Belichick. Always has been. Probably always will be. But he's going to be good and he'll be getting that team to, to wins. Now I'm going to talk about the roster. <coughs> Jimmy Garoppolo last season, he, he faced a lot of criticism for being... Like I've seen like on ESPN, Stephen A. Smith ha- having a go at him. He's like, well, when I think of a franchise quarterback, he's the first person I think of, not all this other stuff. And he's all <sighs> being Stephen A. Smith. But I think last season, that was his first year fully starting. Because I think, what, in 2015 or 2016, there was four games that he missed. He started the first four games of the season after Tom Brady faced a four-game suspension to Deflategate. And then he got traded to San Francisco, and then I think he started a few games there. And then the next season, looking great, got injured. So this was actually, or 2019, was his first season fully starting. His first season being the number one guy. And he played well. Like... He didn't have to do a whole lot because he didn't need to. He had a good offense, good offensive line, good running game that was getting him to wins. 
but he also stepped up and made plays. You look in the uh, New Orleans game, people saying he, he hasn't carried an offense, he isn't he shouldn't have been paid that much money. He brought that team to that win. I don't think many quarterbacks in the NFL could have done what he did and brought that team to that win. As he was incredible in that game. He really stepped up in a big way and shouldered the load for that offense. And next season, I think he's going to step up. He'll be... He'll still be handing the ball off a lot, but he'll take that step up and he'll improve his deep accuracy. He'll just improve across the board. I don't think he's going to step up to a an all-pro MVP level, but I definitely think by the end of next season, you could be making an argument for a top-10 quarterback. Because it's like last year was almost his rookie season. He hasn't played a whole lot, and he's going to keep learning and keep growing as a player and as a leader and as a quarterback. And I think next season, he's going to take a big step up and improve in a big way. Last season, they had a really, really good running game. A great running game. I think they're still going to have a good running game next season, but they need a running back to step up and take the load. Like you've seen before, you know, you've got a system and a running back just steps up, says, this is going to be my team, my running game, and he just, nobody else gets carries after that. I think they're going to need someone like that. Because they had Matt Breeder. He's not there anymore. He went to the Miami Dolphins. Raheem Mostert wants out. Because they're paying him like he's a special teamer when he ran for 200 yards and four touchdowns in the NFC Championship game, which is an NFL record. By this rate, they're not going to have any running backs left by by the time the season starts. So they need... Someone to step up who's already in their building and make plays and take this running game as their own and be a thousand yard rusher. Now I'm going to talk about the wide receivers. Last year that was San Francisco's biggest weakness. They didn't have a whole lot. They had Dante Pettis. They traded for Emmanuel Sanders and they had a second round rookie, uh, Debo Samuel. They were decent, but they didn't have that that standout guy. And this year it's gotten even worse. Well, yeah. They lost Emmanuel Sanders. He left and went to the New Orleans Saints. Debo Samuel injured his foot and will be out. They did bring in Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State with the 30th overall pick, I believe. But he's just going to be a rookie, and it's very likely that he could take his time to adjust to the NFL, as a lot of rookies do. And he's going to struggle having to try and be that number one guy as a rookie. I think they're going to need next year's class and with wide receivers. They've got a lot of guys, if they're even is, if they're even going to be able to see a college season, that's... That's something I'll talk about in the next episode. They're going to need to be bringing in some new receivers in the next year's draft, free agency. But right now, for next season, that receiving room isn't the best. 
it's definitely going to be struggling to getting open and giving Jimmy G reliable targets to throw to that he knows is going to be able to make the catch. Um, George Kittle is, in my opinion, the best tight end in the league. Travis Kelsey, I'd say, is probably a better receiver than George Kittle, but George Kittle is a great blocker. Like He is... In the Super Bowl, he nearly shut down Frank Clark. He didn't shut him down, but he definitely held his own against him. And that's ridiculous for a tight end. Like back when sort of the NFL first started, a tight end basically was an extra tackle on the field to block. But now it's basically a tight end is just a big receiver. You know, Mike Gesicki, uh, I think a second round pick uh, who went to the Miami Dolphins, he can't block. He's not a very good blocker. But teams will still use a second round pick on him because tight ends are now receivers. They're not blockers. But Jimmy G has managed to combine them both. He is one of the best receivers, receiving tight ends in the league, a top two. And he's also the best blocking tight end in the league. And that is a bond, a combination which creates an all pro year after year best tight end in the league. And that's what I think he is. And next year, he's again going to put up a 1,000 yards receiving and be a force in the run game. Now I'm going to talk about their defense. Last year, it was elite. It was an incredible team that had, which I guess really carried them to the Super Bowl. They have probably arguably the best defensive line in football. You could talk about the Reds or Washington football team. Um, There's a lot of different, I guess, teams you could argue for, but I think it's the 49ers. They had, last year they had DeForest Buckner, they had Nick Bosa, they had uh, Arik Armstead. They had all of these guys playing incredibly. They did lose DeForest Buckner in a trade because that was more of a cap-saving measure because they didn't want to have to be paying him, you know, what, he signed an $84 million four-year deal. They didn't want to be paying him that much money because as a Super Bowl team, it's a, it's a fine line between having cap space and being good enough to win now. And they thought that he was someone that they couldn't replace but they could get someone cheaper, maybe, you know, five times less the price, but not, but who's not five times worse, if that makes any sense. So they took Javon Kinlaw with the 13th overall pick out of South Carolina. And Javon Kinlaw has the, uh, he's got so much upside. He's big, he's strong. He's got the ability to get straight up the middle and just push you out of the way because he is so strong. He's got an incredible power rush. Or bull rush. He's got heaps of different names. But he he's obviously just a rookie and I don't think he's going to be able to be performing at an elite level. Which isn't going to be too bad because he doesn't have to be the star on that line because they've got Nick Bosa and uh, Eric Armstead, two guys who are pretty much at a pro bowl level. So he can just slot in there and he's going to be having a lot of one-on-one matchups, which is going to do great for him 
being able to improve his game and get his confidence up by get it, being able to get off blocks uh, sorry, uh, at the NFL level. Um, and the linebackers, they have a really good linebacking core. They've got Dre Greenlaw, who is, I guess, quite underrated. And they've got Fred Warner, who blows my mind that he hasn't made a Pro Bowl yet. Because I personally think he is one of the best. He's a top 10 linebacker in the league, uh, inside linebacker. And he hasn't made a Pro Bowl yet. I think that's definitely 100% going to change next season. He is good against the run, good against the pass. He got an interception in the Super Bowl where he just read Patrick Mahomes' eyes, jumped in front of the ball. Not a great read from Patrick Mahomes, but a good job for from Fred Warner to be able to be in that situation to get the interception. So, and then the secondary is, it, it's pretty good. They've got Richard Sherman, who is not the Richard Sherman that you saw in Seattle. But he's still good. He still, last year, he was an all-pro. You've still got Richard Sherman. You've still got that trash-talking monster who you're not going to throw the ball anywhere near. And he's gotten a lot of, I guess, uh, criticism because he did have some bad plays last year. Like, he got beat in the Super Bowl terribly. It just, he had a terrible Super Bowl. The Chiefs were not a good matchup for him because Richard Sherman isn't the fastest corner coming out of Stanford. I think he was like a 4 6 uh, 40 guy. I don't think anyone in the Chiefs receiving core runs over a 4 5 because you've got Sammy Watkins who's fast, you've got McCall Hardman who's fast, and you've got Terry Kill who is probably the fastest player in the NFL. So your entire receiving core is the Chiefs' entire receiving core is fast. And Richard Sherman, he's a zone coverage corner. He's not going to be against man, against these fast guys. He's just going to get beat every time. So it wasn't a good way for him to really show his skills in the Super Bowl. He also got beat by Devonta Adams in the NFC Championship game. The game was kind of over at that point, but still he got beaten uh, pretty badly for a, a big game. Um, they've got some, I think, some underrated players on that secondary. You've got guys like uh, Jaquiski Tart, uh, Traverius Ward. Some pretty underrated guys. I wouldn't say they're at a Pro Bowl level, or you're going to be trading a first round pick for them. But they are guys who would be on a Super Bowl roster, not as a star, but as someone who makes has a role on that team and helps them win games. Um, that's it for the roster. And I think why they're going to go 11-5 and five is because they're in a tough division. You've got the Seahawks, the Rams, and the Cardinals who are all could possibly be playoff contenders next year. And last year they were lucky. I think they went what five and one in the division. I don't see them doing that again. I think they'll go maybe four and two, uh, five and one if they 
play great individual games. But on their schedule, they have a really tough stretch with possibly six games in a row against playoff contenders. And that's really difficult. You know, you go three and three, four and two in that stretch, you come out looking pretty good. But, you know, the games pile up, you end up going two and four in that stretch, you're now on the back foot. I think 11 and 5 is going to be a good record for them, and that's about where they're going to be sitting. Now, I'm going to talk about the Seattle Seahawks. I will say that they are my favorite team, but I am trying to be as unbiased as possible. I think the Seattle Seahawks are going to win the division. They're going to go 12 and 4. And offensively, they're going to be good. Pete Carroll has an offensive style which runs the ball a lot. It's a power running scheme. You've got Chris Carson, who's going to be getting the ball 20 times a game running the ball. And they're going to be running play actions with Russell Wilson, bootlegs, all of that. They're really going to be doing shotgun snaps unless it's a third down or a third and long. So, the offense has, I definitely think they should use Russell Wilson more, let him really carry you, um, and then use the running game to take the load off him, not use Russell Wilson to take the load off the running game, if that makes any sense. Um, but next season, Russell Wilson will be playing at an MVP level, 100%. Last year, if there wasn't Lamar Jackson, he would have been an MVP. He's had... In 2018 and 2019, he could have easily been uh, the MVP if a few things uh, fell differently. And I think 2020 will be no different. This could be his year where he wins the MVP if nobody has uh, a crazy breakout season like Mahomes did in 2018 or Jackson did in 2019. And it definitely could be his year to... to to hold that MVP trophy. And then Chris Carson, the the running back, he was a seventh-round pick a few years ago, and he is so underrated. Last year he was, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was either top five or top ten in rushing yards. He definitely had over 1,000. It was like something like 1,100. And he was injured for a few games there. And I think he is a dark horse for the rushing yards title. Last year, the rushing yards title was won by Derek Henry, who had about 1,500 yards. And I think with Seattle's scheme, which gives the running back a lot of carries, it could be really good for Chris Carson. He makes a, has a breakout next season, and he's going to get be getting the ball a lot. He could definitely be up there for the rushing yards title. And the receiving group is probably one of the deepest that it's ever been in Seattle. They've got Tyler Lockett, who is a reliable and dependable player who is quite underrated because he doesn't make flashy plays, except he did have that incredible toe-touch uh, catch in the end zone. I've got no idea how he caught that ball. It's just defies belief um 
and he's going to be there. He's going to be having a thousand yards. He's going to be a good, stable receiver for them. <clears throat> and DK Metcalf last year was their second round pick, and I draw the comparison between him and Calvin Johnson. I'm not saying he's going to be Calvin Johnson, but he has the potential to have a career somewhat like that. And they've both got elite, incredible physical gifts with the height and the speed. And I think Metcalf next season will make a big, big jump and be a thousand yard receiver. He does need to learn how to play like he should because he's got a big body he's fast but he almost plays like a slot receiver running short little slants trying to outspeed people rather than out muscle people he should be running slants digs he needs to be playing basically like calvin johnson using his frame to bully smaller defensive backs around and really get really use his frame to get open um and I think you saw that in the NFC wildcard game when he had his his best game of the season with like 170 yards and a touchdown, which was a, a rookie playoff record. I think if he works hard, he could continue to be playing at that level. Um, obviously not putting out 170 yards a week because he's going to be rushing for, he's going to end up having like 2,000 yards, but definitely playing at an elite level. Um, the offensive line has been uh, a real pet peeve of mine as a Seattle fan. It's not been good. It's so painful to see Russell Wilson, this incredible quarterback, have to run for his life on every single down because the offensive line decided to not block. You saw this in the NFC uh, divisional round against the Green Bay Packers last year, last season. In the first half, the offensive line just didn't block. And Russell Wilson, he would sit back in the pocket. He would believe in his offensive line. It got to the second half. He was just like, screw you guys. I'm going to have to do this all myself. And he just started running away from his offensive line. Like, snaps the ball, runs straight away from them. He doesn't even want to be in the vicinity with them. Because it's more safe to not be getting, not have his offensive line block for him. That's an exaggeration. But it shows a point that that offensive line is not good and they have not done enough in Seattle to give Russell Wilson a good offensive line. They had Russell Okung left. They've had German Affetti. I don't even know if he's still there. I think he is, but he's an average player at best. I wanted to see them in the draft take, be aggressive, make a trade up to get an offensive lineman do something to win now because the more hits Russell Wilson takes, the more he's going to get injured and the less time he's going to have playing at an elite level. They need to protect him. And the offensive line next season is going to have to step up if the Seattle team has any hopes of being an elite offense. They've got great receivers, great running, great running back, great quarterback. The reason they're not an elite offense is because of that offensive line, and it needs to step up. It doesn't need to be a top 10 offensive line. It just needs to be good. It doesn't even need to be good. It needs to be average. An average offensive line with that team is going to be, with that offense, 
means that offense is going to be good. But that offensive line needs to step up and get to that point. Now, defensively, they're going to be... They haven't been that elite defense since they lost the Legion of Boom. You look at their 2013-2014 seasons when they made the Super Bowl and won in 2013, there's only two players left from that Super Bowl roster. uh, On the defense, that is. The entire Legion of Boom just completely left. Richard Sherman left, Earl Thomas left, Cam Chancellor retired, Michael Bennett left, Cliff Averill left, uh, Brandon Browner. Everybody's out. And they've slowly been trying to rebuild through trades. They got Quandre Diggs last season. They took LJ Collier out of TCU in the first round. They've taken Jordan Brooks. They've got Shaquille Griffin. They traded for Jamal Adams. And they're slowly trying to rebuild that defense. And I think now they've got a probably the best inside linebacker in the league in Bobby Wagner on the second level. And in my opinion, they've got the best safety in the league Uh in the third level, so they've got elite second and third level defenders, they just don't have that presence down in the trenches, and I think if they bring in maybe Everson Griffin, that could certainly change. Um, But Pete Carroll is a defensive-minded coach, and he's going to find ways for this defense to still be good. And they've got elite playmakers that are going to they're going to be elite as they always are, and they're going to be good. That's, yeah, they just, they've got two great players. Their defensive line isn't the best, but Pete Carroll, as I said, is going to be able to coach them into some good games. Uh, Bobby Wagner is an absolute beast. Um, he could have won a defensive player of the year a few years ago. There's a lot of sort of talk about that. Um, the defensive line, as I said, is a bit iffy. Some guys are going to need to have to step up, like Daryl Taylor, their second-round pick. Wasn't a big fan of that. Like He got just bested by a tight end in a... Uh, I can't remember which game it was last season in college, but a second-round defensive end getting beat by a tight end, that's that's not a good look. Um, I've got LJ Collier needs to step up. Benson Mayoa, who was the Raiders sack leader last season, he needs to step up. They've got oh, Puna Ford, I believe, Jaron Reed. These guys need to step up and make plays for this team if they want to have some kind of defensive line pressure. Because if you don't, teams are like, okay, well, we're not going to be getting sacked. We can just call deep plays. And I don't know if the corners are going to be able to cover good receivers deep. Um, Because pressure forces quarterbacks into bad throws, which makes it easier for corners. It takes the pressure off them. But if the quarterback's got a clean pocket and he's got time to make the right read, uh, inevitably a receiver's going to be getting open. So the the defensive line's going to have to step up. The corners are... Okay, they've got Shaquille Griffin, who is pretty good. He I think he's made a few Pro Bowls. Um, he was a, a stand-in, I believe, last season. 
Um, he's going to be okay against number one receivers who are in the bottom half of number one receivers, if that makes sense. Um, so he's not going to be able to be dominating like people like DeAndre Hopkins twice a year. DeAndre Hopkins is going to dominate him, I think. But against, you know, people like Christian Kirk, maybe like Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, maybe. He's going to be able to hold his own. He's not going to be an elite corner next season, but he's going to be pretty good. And then other than that, the corner room is a bit bare. And again, players are going to have to step up. And then Quandre Diggs is a really underrated safety. In Seattle, they sort of use... The scheme has changed a bit uh, to fit in with what players they had. Back when they had the Legion of Boom, they had Earl Thomas playing uh, the deep middle and Cam Chancellor would come down and sort of pick off anything that was coming across the middle, whether that be digs, slants, uh, posts maybe, if they're like sort of shallow or post. All things like that. But last season, it sort of changed. They were using... uh, they're pretty much in 4-3 base a lot, um, with usually uh, either two safeties back, being Brand, uh, Bradley McDougald and Quandre Diggs, or they'd be in a cover three scheme uh, with Bradley McDougald off the field, um, and then using the two outside corners to drop back into a bail technique zone coverage. Um, I think bringing in Jamal Adams, they're still going to be able to be doing that uh they're going to be able to go back to that Legion of Boom, what they were. They're going to be able to be playing two safeties, one go deep middle, one come down, pick off anything across the middle. Um, And Jamal Adams is great at reading the quarterback's eyes, and that's what he's going to be able to to do at an elite level. Um, And then you've got... And then also going to be obviously being able to play that cover three scheme, Quandra Diggs... uh, playing the deep middle, outside corners, dropping back, and then Jamal Adams can rotate down, so they're going to be able to have eight guys in the box, um, or they can have an outside linebacker come off the field, but they're going to have be able to have eight guys in the box, which is going to be great for stopping the run, which was something which they weren't great at, and having Jamal Adams there is going to be a real force uh, in the run game. Um... The Seahawks have a pretty tough schedule. Obviously, they're in a really tough division. They're going to be playing six games against teams which all have playoff aspirations. Um, But I think they're going to be playing ten teams with somewhat realistic playoff aspirations. And that's, that's really tough when you're playing over half of your schedule is going to be against teams that have possible playoff aspirations. So, in conclusion, for the Seahawks, I think they're going to be going 12-4. and four. They're going to win the division. They're going to be good, but for them to be at that 12-4 and four level, some guys like the offensive line's going to need to step up. The defensive line's going to need to step up. Otherwise, they could be at a 10-6, 11-5 sort of uh, range. But I think 12-4, and four, some guys are going to need to step up for them to get there. Uh, I'm going to take... A quick drink, um, and then we're going to be talking about the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Okay. 
Now we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams last season went 9-7, which is a real disappointment after going 13-3 and making the Super Bowl in 2018. I don't think it's going to get much better this season. I think they're going to go 8-8. Eight and eight. They're going to lose another game. They're in... Their division's got even better now with the Arizona Cardinals coming in. They're just... They've been hit with, I guess, uh, some bad luck. Jared Goff's just sort of not been playing at a great level. And they're in a tough division. They've got a tough schedule. It's going to not be not going to be fun for them to be a Rams fan next year. Um, Sean McVay is their coach. He's the, one of the youngest coaches in the NFL. I think he is the youngest. And there's only so much he can do with Jared Goff. Um... I remember when Jared Goff went first overall and Carson Wentz went second. I always felt that Carson Wentz was the better option. I don't know. I just had a gut feeling when that was happening. I was only like what, 10 or 11 at the time. Um, I probably didn't know anything about football really then. But I just had a gut feeling that Carson Wentz was going to be better. Um, and Jared Goff, he just hasn't... He wasn't very good last year. He had a game against the Bears where there's only so much Sean McVay can do. He can put him in a perfect situation, and Jared Goff can still just screw it up. I I hope he doesn't. Actually, no, I'm a Seahawks fan. I hope he does. Um, but uh, as a person, I hope I hope he can play well, uh, but still lose to the Seahawks. Because I don't want I don't want to see anybody fail. They all work really hard. But lose to the Seahawks, please, Rams. Um, if Goff can return to that early 2018 form where everybody was raving about, oh, Jared Goff's going to be the MVP, the Rams could easily be back to a uh, an elite level. But I just don't think it's going to happen. I think that was a product of a new... Again, what happened with the 49ers, the new team, nobody knows how to play them. People learnt how to play him, and he all of a sudden just shrunk into the background. Um, they probably wouldn't have even made the Super Bowl um, if the referees in that NFC Championship game uh, decided to use their eyes, uh, talking about the Nola no call. Um, I still honestly don't understand how that wasn't called as a defensive pass interference. That's where they needs to be able to challenge pass interference calls. Because it's things like that. It's so annoying as a fan when you see teams get robbed, not by just playing bad, but from something that was out of their control. Um, but that's a whole thing about the referees that I don't want to get into because that's going to be a, a, a really, really long episode then. Um... They lost Todd Gurley, and obviously last season he wasn't the best because he's got arthritis in his knee. It's really sad. He was a great player. He's been a multiple offensive uh, player of the year candidate. I think he won it in 2018 when he was also an MVP candidate. So he was an amazing player, but injuries have really cost him I guess his longevity and in the end probably is going to be his career. He went to the Falcons and I do hope he he can get back to his form, but 
that's I'll be talking about that with the Falcons um, in a few episodes, or in the next episode when I talk about the NFC South. Um, they did bring in Cam Akers, who I don't think he's going to be playing at a Todd Gurley level. He might be pretty, pretty good, but he's not going to be Todd Gurley. On offense, they don't have an identity. Like, you look at the best teams last season, you had the Niners, they have an identity. They're going to run it down your throats. They're going to have great blockers in college. Use check, use check, use check. Nobody knows how to say it. Um, I think it's use check. And they've got George Kittle. They've got a great offensive line. They're going to run it down your throat. Seattle, they're going to run it down your throat. They're going to hit you with a play-action fake with Russell Wilson. The Rams don't have any identity. I don't know what I'm going to see from the next year. They could be a run first and second down, pass on third. They could be a pass on first and second down, run on third. I don't think that's going to be happening the latter one, but you never know. They just, they don't have an identity. They don't have, when you think of the Rams, you don't think they're a big passing team. You don't think they're a big running team. It's going to be interesting to see what they what they do. The defense under, they've got a new defensive coordinator. I think they're going to struggle. As always, when you learn a new system, there's some growing pains. And I think it's going to be the same with the Rams. They're going to struggle to, to be at an, an elite level, uh, I guess, as they were in 2018. Uh, Aaron Donald will play great, uh, as he always does. He is just a great player. He, again, could be a defensive player of the year candidate next year. No arguments about that. He's incredible. Um, they traded a lot for Jalen Ramsey last year, and I think he will play... He will have a somewhat comeback to a, an all-pro level. But again, under a new coach, it, it'll. and I don't know much about the new coach the new defensive coordinator and his systems, whether that'll work with Jalen Ramsey's physical play style of bump and run, press coverage as much as he can because he's just great with that. Um, But the rest of the defense, I think, will underperform. They're going to struggle with a new system and it's going to be tough. The Rams have a tough start to the season. Uh, where they've got the Cowboys, the Eagles, and the Bills, um, which all three of those are going to be possible playoff contenders. I don't think they're ever going to be that dangerous. I don't think you're ever going to mark the Rams down on the the calendar and think that's going to be the toughest game of our season. You're going to think that's a winnable game. They're never going to be that elite Super Bowl threat that people think or that uh, they were a few years ago. So, in conclusion, the Rams are going to go 8-8. Eight eight. Um, they've got a really tough division. As I'm going to say, this for every single NSU West team. They've got a tough division. They've got a. They've got some bright spots on the offense. They lost some players. They don't have an identity on defense. Got some bright spots. Again, don't have an identity. New coach. They're going to struggle. So, 8-8 eight eight for them. Now I'm going to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. They've been a there's been a lot of hype around them because they uh, they made some good offensive uh, off season moves to bring in some players. 
I don't agree with the hype. People forget last year they were a they had the seventh the the eighth overall pick and they were like five, ten and one or something like that. So this they've still got holes on that team. They definitely improved a lot. But they're sort of I think not in twenty twenty, but twenty twenty one they are going to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. But I think they need one more year to build up their roster and get it to that point where they will be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Um, they've got a lot of talent uh, on the roster, but it just needs to come together. The coaching needs to bring it together and them to work cohesively. And especially a young team like that needs off-season uh, training camps to improve. And I just don't think with the sort of whole problems with uh, COVID-19, if that's they're going to be able to get that, that level of practice that they're going to need. Um, Kyla Murray will play at a Pro Bowl level. Last year, he went off as the Rookie of the Year. Easily could have gone to Josh Jacobs, but he certainly was one of the best rookies in the league. And... I think he's definitely going to take a step up from year one to year two. He's going to, like, I let a lot of people talking about him as a dark horse candidate for MVP. He's not really a dark horse anymore because everybody's talking about it. So he is just an MVP candidate. That's definitely possible. He's in a system. I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to open up the playbook a bit more for him, let him really run the ball, throw the ball, really use all his talents. Um,. Yeah, I think it's going to be, he definitely could be an MVP contender, but I think certainly a play, a pro bowl level is certainly something that could be, could be possible for him. Kenyon Drake was, they traded for him, I believe from the Miami Dolphins, uh, mid last season. He played well, uh, replaced David Johnson as the starting running back and they signed him to the transition tag. So basically, he's going to be there for the next season. There's a whole lot of different tags in the NFL, uh, which I won't really talk too much about what they are. So I think he's going to disappoint. As much as I always like hate saying that players are going to underperform, I think, you know, you've seen all these stories before of guys coming into new situations um, and they just underperform. And I think that's what's going to happen with him. He's going to be, he'll be all right, but he won't be, he doesn't have to fight for a job like he did last season. And without that, that pushing him, I don't know if he'll he'll play at the same level. I hope he does because I always like to see players perform well. The Arizona Cardinals offensive line is not the best. It needs help. Like, they've got some... They took Josh Jones uh, in the second round, I believe, out of Houston. He's pretty good, but he's not someone who's going to be able to turn their offensive line around. You don't want your second-year quarterback running around in the pocket for his life because he's going to be getting hit. 
That's not the way you want to do it. I get that, you know, you can't get... An offensive line isn't built overnight. But the offensive line is definitely going to harm that offense. So they can't get to that, you know, playoff elite level that they want to be at. They're going to need... I think they could if the offensive line makes takes a big step up, but I just don't see the offensive line take a big step up from terrible to average. Like these players, they're not like they weren't rookies last year who were going to make a big step up into year two. These guys were guys have been in the league for a few years, and they're not going to be improving much more, which which worries me about the line. That's basically what you're going to be getting next year, and that's not great. That's not good at all. Um. Moving on to the wide receivers, DeAndre Hopkins will be great. He's got a great sort of system for him, Cliff Kingsbury. I think he's really going to, this air raid system, really going to open it up more, open up the playbook, lost more passes. And DeAndre Hopkins is going to, I think, possibly have a career high in yards and receptions. Because he's going to be getting the ball a lot. He's going to be the out-and-out number one guy on an offense that passes the ball a lot. And that's a recipe for big numbers. And that's exactly what DeAndre Hopkins is going to get next season. He's a great player, and they got him for basically nothing, a second-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. People way o- Teams way overvalue picks. You're getting... I don't understand that trade. That was, that's probably, in my opinion, one of the worst trades ever made. Um, yeah, but Hopkins will play amazing. Um, the defense, I think, will either come together and play well, or it just won't, and it'll be a bottom half, bottom ten defense in the league. That's not what you want. <laughs> They've got some some talent. Uh, they brought in Devondre Campbell, uh, who's playing for the Lions at linebacker. They've got Patrick Peterson um, in a corner, who's a, a great corner. Um, didn't have his best season last year, but he's he's going to be a solid staple on that team, who's a pro bowler. They've got Buda Baker in at uh, free safety. And they've got Isaiah Simmons, who they drafted 8th overall. The problem I have with their defense is I don't see where Isaiah Simmons is going to fit in. Because what I would do with Isaiah Simmons is almost play like a box safety sort of role uh, with some variation. I'd keep him pretty much in the box a lot, but he drops back uh, in coverage uh, quite a bit, so we can basically control that entire middle of the field um, on zone, and you can also play a man. But where does that leave Buda Baker? Because he is uh, a box safe. He comes down, and if Isaiah Simmons is going to be playing more in that role, where do they fit in together? Because they're going to be taking each other's spot, each other's tackles, each other's interceptions. Where does that leave him? And I think I would rather have Isaiah Simmons than Buda Baker because I think Isaiah Simmons plays a position and has the talent to become better than what Buda Baker is. 
So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. Because it's going to be... It'll be... See how they uh, manage to try and fit both of those two guys in together. Um, they've got a few tough games uh, on the schedule. But I think this team is good enough to beat the bad teams. Um, teams that won't be making the playoffs. But they're going to struggle against playoff teams. Which is why I think they're going to be going 8-8. Eight and eight. They're going to win against the bad teams, but they're going to really struggle against the good playoff teams that have Super Bowl aspirations. But I think in 2021, they're going to be beating these playoff teams, and they're going to have a real shot at the Super Bowl. In conclusion for the Cardinals, I have them going 8-8. Eight and eight. The offense is going to take a step up, but the offensive line is going to hold them back. On defense, they've got some nice pieces, but... It's got to come together for them to to be good. Um, And they're going to have to try and work out some things with what positions players are going to play, or not positions, but what roles they're going to have. So, yeah, that is my NFC West predictions. Uh, I'll be coming out with the other three NFC divisions, and then I'll be doing all four of the AFC divisions. Those will be coming out... uh, not not in the too distant future um so yeah i hope you enjoyed this enjoyed this episode of the show i enjoyed filming it and i hope you leave uh, a five-star rating if you're watching on, on apple itunes um and please share it with your friends I'm trying to to grow more it grows the more i can uh, put out episodes um so yeah thank you very much for watching i will see you guys next time bye